five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Diary of a Kidney Warrior, sharing faith, knowledge, hope, and love. Hi, and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. My name is Dee Moore, and I am a stage four kidney warrior. This podcast is dedicated to encourage, educate, and inspire as we explore all aspects of kidney disease, chronic illnesses, and health. If you have any questions or ideas for topics you would like me to cover, please get in contact with me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. In today's episode, I am bringing you a kidney warrior story. Now there's always something you can learn from someone's story, something that can bring inspiration and hope. My guest today from Chicago, USA, is entrepreneur, speaker, educator, and advocate, Kyle Chang. Kyle was diagnosed with end-stage renal failure in 2013. He went on to having dialysis, having both kidneys removed, and lived with no kidneys for over a year before going on to receiving a kidney transplant from a deceased donor. Kyle shares the lessons he has learned during his remarkable kidney warrior journey. Hi and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior, the podcast. How are you doing today, Kyle? Fantastic, Dee. Great to see you. Great to see you. And hear you. Yes, it's wonderful to see you. And you know, as everyone knows, I absolutely love recording Kidney Warrior interviews because I really believe that hearing someone's lived experience is so powerful. So thank you for joining me today. Yeah, it's a pleasure. I've been looking forward to this for a while. So Me too. Thank you for the invite. You're welcome. So my first question is, how did your Kidney Warrior journey begin and how were you diagnosed? Um, it began back in 2013, and uh, I was originally diagnosed acutely in one of the hospitals through an emergency visit um, due to an infection and some other illnesses we couldn't figure out. So I went through the emergency department, and then uh, they ran some labs and then diagnosed me with kidney failure. At that point, they had to um, do three sessions of dialysis in the hospital in the acute setting, and uh, we went for a couple months after that. I wasn't a fan of the nephrology team there at that particular hospital anyways, but um, so we took a couple months off and then moved into a different hospital in the Chicago area. Um, and then that's where I was diagnosed with chronic kidney failure. Some of the symptoms leading to that second visit to the emergency room at the different hospital was I was having a lot of issues uh, walking and breathing and even taking steps and climbing stairs and sort of vomiting um, fluids out of blue. So uh, now we know that as a symptom of uh, late stage kidney failure for some patients and also a symptom of fluid overload. Wow, that's quite a journey. So that must have been a real shock to the system to have that sudden diagnosis. So, you know, when you first heard, what was the process then of coming to terms with having your diagnosis? Yeah, both the symptoms and the diagnosis was very shocking to me um, because I had no prior history of kidney disease that was ever defined by any prior doctor's visits. Um, so it was sort of out of the blue and um, obviously a lot of confusion, a lot of you know uncertainty in what the next steps in life are, um, both financially and physically and health-wise. Um, but fortunately, at the hospital stay, I was in the hospital for about three and a half weeks. 
with that chronic diagnosis, and they ran through a whole battery of different tests. And uh, we got some things figured out. And as they continue to do dialysis treatments on a regular basis in the hospital setting, um, I started to feel a little bit better. The fluids were being removed. The toxins were being removed. So naturally, physically, I was feeling better. And in turn, um, emotionally, I was able to process a few more thoughts about that, but still very confused at that stage. So what type of dialysis were you started on initially? Uh, initially, it was in the hospital setting, so that would be hemodialysis. Um, they placed a chest a catheter on me as an emergency access, and then um, they would just the nurses would just say, hey, "The dialysis unit called, and we're going to have somebody take you over to the dialysis unit at a certain time of the day." And um, you know, sometimes that was during meal period, sometimes it was just um, in between other doctors' rounds and whatnot. So the schedule varied each day, but they were on schedule for um, dialysis approximately every other day in that hospital setting for hemodialysis. And what difference did dialysis make for you at that time? In terms of, I apparently I was in such poor condition at the time that um, it just made me feel a little bit better each time and each day. Although, um, as regular with uh, a lot of kidney dialysis patients, like hemodialysis, it's very draining to the system. So I would often uh, be hungry afterwards or I'd have to nap and sleep for uh, an hour or two after those sessions. And when you're in the hospital, um, there's no other distractions um, except the nurses checking up on you and giving you medications and um, taking your vitals. So it was not much of an issue to sleep after those sessions. And uh, I think most of the folks in the hospital setting realized um, that's sort of routine for post-treatment hemodialysis at the time. So you went on to have a transplant. So tell me about how that came about. Yeah, so it took a while. Um, it, so after the hospital setting, I went into hemodialysis as an outpatient unit for about seven months. And then I learned about peritoneal dialysis and also home hemodialysis. So I was on that for many, many years while I was in the process of getting listed for transplant. Um, once I was listed for transplant, it took me about nine months to get actually officially listed to receive a living donor or a deceased donor and be active on the list here in the United States. So it took a while for me here in Illinois. And then after that, it was waiting for many years, um, at least five and a half years after the official listing date. Um, with a total waiting time of over six and a half years to receive the deceased donor kidney. And I was able to receive that deceased donor kidney, fortunately, about uh, 17 months ago. Um, it's just a couple of days that we celebrated that official 17 months. So um, very excited and also thinking about the, um, the deceased donor and their family every day for giving me this life and this other opportunity without dialysis to live and sort of carrying on with some of the work I do and be able to get back to a more normal life. So quite often people say that you can live with one kidney, but I'm aware that you actually lived with no kidneys at all, which I find absolutely amazing. So please tell me about your life with no kidneys. Yeah, so um, while I was listed and waiting to receive a um, donor kidney, there was about a year prior to that, I had to get a doubled open nephrectomy. So a nephrectomy is where they remove the kidney. And it's also the process where if there was a living donor, they would perform a nephrectomy to remove that uh, living donor kidney to transplant to a kidney recipient as well. For me, the reason for that was over the different years on dialysis, 
Um, I develop acquired cystic kidney disease. So some people have that. It's fairly rare, but uh, some people have that. And it's different than polykidney cystic disease, which is more of a genetic issue. But cysts can develop on your kidneys over time. And the transplant center was concerned that those cysts may um, infect a new kidney if I was transplanted with one. So um, we discussed the options. And then at first it was to remove just the one kidney that had more cysts and that were more problematic. But then we decided to actually do a removal of both kidneys um, to play safe since there was cysts developing on both sides. So for about 13 months um, prior to receiving my kidney transplant, I was walking around with uh, zero kidneys. And wow. um, <laughs> it was uh, surprising. I, it took some time to discuss with the surgeons and different things about options and what we needed to do. Obviously, we lose kidney function while on dialysis as well. But to really go from truly zero kidney function and only have a GFR solely dependent on the dialysis itself, um, it was really interesting. Um, But on the same token, um, it was a good story to tell for over 13 months, and nobody knew anything about it unless I told them. Not even most of my doctors um, that was not involved in the nephrology or transplant side that they didn't even realize I had no kidneys unless they look at the medical records that I had that double open nephrectomy. I mean, that is, wow, so incredible to me that it's even possible to live a normal life. And I just can't get my head around it. It's just incredible. So that period of time when you had zero kidneys, when you compare that to before they removed both of your kidneys, how was it? Were you more tired during that period of time? Did you feel more ill during that period of time? Like, how was it different? How did it change? Uh, you know, I think our body can trick us a lot. Um, as as um, kidney disease is a slow progression to failure and also not having kidney, your body will make adjustments to try to compensate as much as possible. So it's as normal as can be for your individual situation. What on the outside, if folks don't interact with you and see you regularly, they may presume that everything's normal, you have no kidney disease, and you have uh, both your kidneys working fine. Um, but on the other side, internally, you feel different. You know that you feel uh, more fatigued. You're more dependent on dialysis. You want to make sure you had that to help remove fluids um, because I also lost urine functions for years while on dialysis. So um, it's solely dependent on the dialysis treatments, whether it's um, uh, hemodialysis, peritoneal dialysis, or home hemodialysis to be able to remove those fluids and toxins. And obviously, it was more limiting in terms of the fluid intake, as well as what kind of foods you can have and how much. Um, so you always have to take those things into consideration instead and just listen to your body and um, see where you don't feel well. If you're fatigued, take that extra rest, take the extra naps, or um, cancel your appointments if you need to. But unless you're living with it day to day, such as with a care partner or yourself, most people are not going to know that's what's happening. They just think you're busy in other appointments or you're being busy not interacting with them or maybe possibly thinking you're ignoring them for some reason. And that indeed is not the case. Um, However, I was still able to do work part-time and travel and um, do um, a lot of different things. I didn't have much energy for exercise. So um, controlling my diet was a good way of not having to exercise or burn off extra calories outside of sort of reflexology or stretching or just walking uh, when I had the energy to do that. Simply incredible. 
I mean, I've literally never met anyone before that has managed to navigate life with no kidneys. I just think you're incredible, Kyle. You really are. <laughs> I just, um, I, you know, um, we've talked a little bit offline on um, other things, but um, I sort of take the position where you just sort of live, always try to live the best life you can, do as much as you can when you can with the people you enjoy doing it with. Um, that's also a message I like to share a lot and sort of, you know, and the conversation reminders up because everybody has their different challenges that you don't know about. So I think when you're doing podcasting, you're learning about different um, kidney warriors journeys, but also um, if folks just talk about things with different people and interact and have conversations and learn about each other, no matter what their perceived differences are. Um, I think it, it makes the world a better place, both for you individually feeling well and also for other folks to learn. Um, and you, in turn, learn something as well for yourself. So, yeah, that's sort of just the life concept. I was never really expecting to receive a donor kidney, to be honest with you. Uh, but now that I have it and know and feel the differences post-transplant, um, I, I encourage folks to get listed even quicker and think about getting transplanted even quicker. And this is a similar story that maybe you have heard from other folks that have had transplants as well, that the energy difference and also sort of the flexibility in terms of fluids and diets and just lifestyle in general is very different compared to being on dialysis, even though you can live really well on dialysis as well, um, depending on your comorbidities and other health issues that might incur um, that might drag you down. Um, so kidney failure is not necessarily a death sentence. Um, I like to That's share that right. with folks as well. Um, so we just keep living each day and each week the best we can and uh, move forward the best we can. So comparing life, free diagnosis on hemo, on PD, having no kidneys and then having a transplant, what would you say would be the significant pluses and minuses of each one. So what would you say were the pluses and minuses of being on hemodialysis? Yeah, so um, hemodialysis typically done in center. Um, you could also do it at home. It's called home hemodialysis, which is popular in a lot of countries and more popular now uh, that we're um, talking about it and with some Medicare reimbursement changes um, in recent years here in the States. So in-center hemodialysis tends to be the harshest and most critical for folks that are on dialysis, you tend to, for most people, you tend to feel the effects more on hemodialysis because it's compressed three times a week for a short period. Um, three or four hours is actually a very short period where that machine's running. And it seems like a time savings for you to actually just do three, four hours of treatment um, in a setting and you don't have to take care of anything. But quite honestly, for me and a lot of patients I talk to um, is actually not as advantageous for personal lifestyle, mobility, or the ability to travel. And we're also uh, frequently tired and exhausted afterwards because of that compressed time. Relate that to your native kidneys. Your native kidneys are processing things. And um, dialysis is only removing the fluids and the waste. But your kidneys actually do a lot more in terms of controlling body temperature, blood pressure, and um, you know, uh, handling a lot of it other bodily functions with the other organs. So um, dialysis treatments don't fully replace a, another kidney. With that, um, the next best option, in my opinion, is often peritoneal dialysis. Um, 
that does not involve needles or direct blood exchange that you would have in the in-center hemodialysis setting or the home hemodialysis setting. And in my experience, the machines were smaller, easier to travel with. Um, and I was on that for about five and a half years. Um, and I was able to work full-time travel. And even though my treatment prescription, and it varies depending on the individual dialysis patient, that I had treatments every night. And I stood to my treatments every night because I felt better. And it was approximately eight and a half hours per night on peritoneal dialysis. But I did that while I was sleeping. So to me, it didn't really affect me as much because that's the time I need to go to bed. And normally uh, before dialysis and even now post-transplant, I sleep about five, six hours a night. While on peritoneal dialysis, I had eight and a half hours treatment, but I was online watching movies or um, running support groups. Um, in the middle of the night with folks <laughs> from other countries. And uh, so that was sort of my interaction and, and connection with other folks during those years. And um, I did enjoy peritoneal dialysis. Um, I had to go back on in-center hemodialysis for a while after the double nephrectomy. That's somewhat typical. Um, when they open you up, they have to remove the peritoneal catheter oftentimes, or um, that peritoneal dialysis process may not be as effective of a dialysis option for you post some surgeries. So that was my case. And I went to uh, in-center. So that was my second round of in-center hemodialysis. And I was able to manage that process much better because over the years with PD, I learned how dialysis works. I learned how to manage how much fluids that they can remove. And I sort of control that function as opposed to just showing up and letting them take care of whatever they need to take care of. Because sometimes errors happen, sometimes they take out too much or too little, and you feel the effects afterwards um, being in center every three days a week. From that, once we realized that transplant was going to take a little bit longer, my nephrologist and I decided that I would go ahead and do home hemodialysis and start training for that. And I thought, why not? You know, that's a different modality I haven't done. Um, there's a lot of people in support groups that's always asking me about it. So why don't I go ahead and try training for that and doing that for a while until the transplant call comes and uh, learn a little bit more about it. So I was on that for about uh, three, four months between the training and actually doing it at home prior to getting called for the transplant. Um, and um, I was also a little bit unique um, in my whole scenario that I'm one of those patients that have never had a fistula or graft um, as a dialysis axis of, from any modality of dialysis, which is a little bit unusual because typically if you're on a hemodialysis modality, whether at home or in center, they do prefer to install a fistula or graft um, as a better flow rate axis and also less infection risk typically. But because I was bouncing between the different modalities and also going through what I was going through over the years with most of the time just having a PD catheter that worked for five and a half years, um, that um, it was sort of a low risk for me to stay on the catheter for hemodialysis at the time. And my nephrology was okay. And it was less risk for me to have another placement surgery and risk infections and whatnot um, when I was so close to receiving a transplant. So that's how we decided on those options for access and also the different modalities. Wow. You don't do things by halves, do you? <laughs> it's very it's very unintentional um, when, when there's an opportunity and the right opportunities that come around um i do try to take it and explore it um and i i always enjoy learning and sharing with folks so um again this is a great opportunity to share some of my journeys and experience and share something that's a little bit different hopefully with both the medical community and some other patients out there and that's also a lot of the um 
because yeah, somehow I got to develop all these really unique experiences um, <laughs> that I get to share with other folks about. So hopefully um, it resonates with somebody out there that's listening to your podcast and uh, they don't feel so alone that they're, they're the only unicorn. There are other unicorns. Out there. <laughs> <laughs> so. so with all that experience that you have, what advice would you give someone who has just been diagnosed with kidney disease? Um, if you've been diagnosed with kidney disease, I think um, just take one step at a time. Do your research, learn, and um, figure out the knowledge. It's not a death sentence. Um, there are different, um, depending on what stage you're diagnosed at, often people get really worried at stage three. And a lot of us know that stage three is um, almost not a very um, pressing issue when it comes to CKD diagnosis. Um, it's something to be aware of and an opportunity for you to make some simple lifestyle choices and that are, that may be different from before. And then also be a little bit more aware with your medical professionals to get your regular checkups to make sure nothing's uh, going out of the ordinary or you're crashing into later stages faster. Um, so a lot of folks in stages three or four could certainly live for many years and never need dialysis or transplant. And you're an example of one of those folks that uh, are in stage four CKD and uh, are doing your best to avoid dialysis and um, hoping to just go straight into transplant without dialysis. So certainly that is a recommendation for folks. But definitely calm down. Um, things will work out if you have the right mental attitude and right emotional mindset um, to um, go ahead. Just take one thing at a time, one challenge at a time, take deep breaths. Hopefully you have a support system to help you along with the journey. And I will also encourage if you're diagnosed with either stage four or stage five prior to needing dialysis, definitely put the word out. Let folks know that um, you have kidney failure. You may need a transplant and help start talk about your story. Start sharing your journey and your concerns with friends and family members, even if they cannot understand. Join support groups. Um, listen to podcasts like yours to learn about different people's journeys so that that's part of your research and definitely talk to your own medical team because a lot of kidney dialysis patients come to end-stage renal or dialysis or transplant from very different walks of life. There's some statistics where hypertension, lupus, and diabetes are sort of some major causes or some side effects from long-term use of certain medications may contribute to kidney failure. Um, don't worry about that. You're at that journey at that point of your stage for a reason. So um, just deal with one thing at a time, work with your medical teams based on your own individual health history, uh, but also learn from the outside and have better conversations, understand how to talk to your nephrologists or your dialysis nurses and technicians um, in different ways and get an understanding. Hopefully your team is willing to teach you like my team was over the different years and the uh, um, I certainly don't know everything. I learn from you and other kidney warriors all the time um, and all the, all the different practitioners all the time on different platforms and also in person when we get the chance to speak and interact with them. Um, and we're always learning. So, But we take what we learn back to our individual health practitioner teams so that it relates to our individual health situation and our individual medical history. Um, so hopefully that helps some folks in terms of um, some advice, um, but definitely don't wait. Um, look for living donors or deceased donors. That's something you can talk about um, and you can share right away, even not having any of the dialysis experience or nephrectomy and transplant experience that I have and have to wait so many years. Um, and if you have to be on dialysis for a short term, 
Um, there are different dialysis treatment modalities that are available. Um, there are really seven different ways you could do dialysis. So you want to learn about those. And um, what are those options? Discuss it with your nephrologist. And is your nephrologist even aware there's all these different ways to do dialysis? And are they sharing that with you? Because in the U.S., they are supposed to um, and discuss treatment options. Either the nephrologist themselves or somebody on their medical team are supposed to do that when you get diagnosed and needing dialysis short term. It's not always throw you into hemodialysis at late stage on an emergency basis. And then based on lifestyle, um, when I transitioned from hemodialysis to PD, one of the things that attracted me was the prospect of getting back to work full time. Um, everybody kept telling me I was a younger patient um, and shouldn't be at dialysis or in, in at the outpatient dialysis clinic, and um, which actually took a toll on me as well, looking around um, with some folks with disabilities or elderly. Um, and I'm sitting there like, OK, well, I, and you're telling me this. So why am I here? But, you know, you're telling me I shouldn't be here, but you're not giving me any other options. Mm -hmm. So your clinic, as well as your nephrologist, should be presenting different treatment options available for you that allow you to live the lifestyle that you want to the best of your ability while you're waiting for a transplant and while you're receiving dialysis. And for me, that for many years was PD for me to be able to take my machine and supplies and be able to travel. Um, it wasn't the just go with a passport, credit card, and a backpack to travel like I did before dialysis, but it allowed me to still travel and do different things, to take cruises or work um, remotely at different cities for different projects um, and still be able to receive my dialysis treatments regularly. So, um, yeah, so those are some different options. Um, there's always something to the journey and just take one thing at a time. And I think that's a really important, I mean, everything you said was important, don't get me wrong. But I think one thing that somebody early in the journey might not realize is that it is possible to travel and it is possible to do the things that you're used to doing in your everyday life, you know, before CKD entered into it. So I think people, you know, your example there of you traveled, you worked full time, you were still able to live your life differently, but you were still able to live your life as you did before. Yeah. And if you if you have the right diet, if you have the right dialysis treatments where you're feeling well and not fatigue all the time, if you don't have any other health conditions that's preventing you and weighing you down, you're able to walk, you're able to run, you're able to exercise. Um, we have dialysis patients that run marathons or triathlons, just the same as other patients. So that is certainly possible. And then on the other spectrum, don't feel bad if you cannot do any of that stuff because everybody's individual health conditions is different. If you can only sit in a chair and do some stretching exercises or ride a pedal bike while you're sitting in a chair um, or just walk a few times a week um, for 10, 15 minutes, that's still movement, right? So um, that's still okay. Everybody's journey is going to be very different. Absolutely. So what myths about kidney disease would you like to debunk? Um, I think one of the myths is, is common, especially in the Asian culture um, that I talk about, is when somebody gets diagnosed and, and they hear family members or friends that says, um, oh, you're going on dialysis. They think that's a death sentence. And honestly, I thought it was as well when I was diagnosed sitting in the hospital for three and a half weeks. I'm like, my life is over. I'm, I'm 38. My life is over. I don't need to worry about anything else. And 
Um, that was sort of the position I took. I said, if any of this medical stuff works, great. We'll deal with the rest later about debt and money and housing and whatever else. But if this stuff doesn't work medically for me at this stage, well, I guess my game is done, right? So um, that was the mentality. But once different treatments took place and other family members were like, wow, okay, so dialysis is working. You're still around year after year after year and you're still working, you're still traveling and you're still doing different things. Oh, I guess dialysis is okay. Um, so other family members within the Asian culture or my other friends that didn't know anything, they thought I'd disappear off the end of the earth or something. Um, they started seeing me around a little bit more and started to be able to share the story. So definitely not a death sentence. Um, definitely not something we should discourage ourselves from talking about, regardless of a, our culture or communities that we're in. Share your stories because a lot of people don't realize. And I have Black and African American friends that get diagnosed. Um, unfortunately, they're one of the high population with high risk for kidney failure. Um, and so when they get diagnosed, they find out how much support there is out there within certain different communities um, and other people that have experienced it. I have another friend in California that we were in college years together back in California and um, him and his partner, um, his partner ended up with dialysis. And I learned about their story where they have a whole family history of people going on dialysis and transplants. Um, there's like four people in the family um, mm -hmm. that's had to go through dialysis and they're Samoan. So um you know, um, a lot of people have different journeys. A lot of people have different resources, support, and knowledge base that they have around that they don't even know until they get diagnosed and start talking about their stories. Um, so definitely um, at any stage of the game, try to share your story and tell other people and talk about it. Um, try to stay upbeat if you are able to um, with yourself in terms of the positive mental attitude and also good emotions. Pray, meditate, do what works for you. Listen to EDM music, uh, <laughs> if that helps, uh, and bring you out of the funks um, and, and just keep pressing forward. Thank you. That's excellent advice. Now, I know with all the experience that you have, you have definitely paid it forward in terms of kidney advocacy, education, etc. So tell the listeners about Kidney Journeys and your platform and what you do in terms of serving the kidney community. Yeah, somehow um, nobody took up Kidney Journeys at the time, so I sort of nabbed the um, domain name and handle and things like that. But that came out of uh, running different support groups, on mostly on Facebook over the years while I was still on dialysis and being asked to moderate those groups. Um, with the information as I learned and to carry forward because there's always new folks being diagnosed with end-stage renal failure or different stages of kidney disease. So we have a lot of different support groups. Um, and then that translated into, um, wow, why don't we just not put it in text where we're typing in chat groups and support groups? Let's start putting it into video form and like what you're doing with podcast form, use our voices um, like now on Clubhouse. Um, so I'm on a variety of different platforms um, through my work over the years, running support groups and also volunteering with um, organizations such as AAKP, American Kidney Fund, and also National Kidney Foundation um, on a variety of different areas where they help train you and um, help mold you if you need that support. Or um, you could just sort of jump in if you're more experienced and uh, jump into different things that and help with legislative or advocacy needs on behalf of other patients or living donors. 
is what we're talking about. So that translated now into works officially in Kidney Journeys, which is still not an official nonprofit, but we hope to be there soon. Um, but we are across um, different platforms on social media and including Facebook, Clubhouse, Twitter, uh, YouTube um, are my main ones. And uh, we just share our experiences through different formats, different mediums um, to help folks know that it's okay. In terms of the kidney journey, we try to work with um, professionals that are dietitians and clinicians and social workers across all these arenas as much as we can and as much as they're available to give us their volunteer time outside of their normal work to help us work with other patients and other folks to educate um, both the patients, the care partners, as well as the larger medical community. Because we found out as patients over time that a lot of the medical community gets about only about half an hour training in their medical career about nephrology or kidney disease or dialysis. Um, So if we weren't around to help talk about it, they don't know anything about it as a career option. They don't know about patient experiences. Um, they may see us on the floor. Um, they don't understand that with peritoneal dialysis and home hemodialysis, we are trained and very well trained as patients to manage our own care. Whereas they may not be familiar with it, we don't always need to call the dialysis check for little things, even when we're in the hospital. And there are some hospitals that is not even equipped to deal with home dialysis patients you know, in this country and across the world. And we hope to change some of that. So that's some of the different things that we're doing on different levels to share across the board, help patients, care partners learn, help medical professionals learn, and um, also have that exchange of information so that everybody knows how to work as a collaborative team. And that's sort of the end result. Um, And one of my main purpose after receiving the transplant is, um, just trying to help as many people as I can in whatever way I'm able to. So that's sort of the top line purpose. And then we have all these different missions, whether it's social media or speaking in person or advocacy work um, that ties in along with that. And I also apply that purpose in other parts of my life, um, whether it be in business or aviation hobbies or um, just meeting people in general is to try and help as many people as I can for as long as I can moving forward. Um, and try to maximize that um, this new kidney that I'm fortunate to have for however many years I'm able to keep it healthy um, and with me and hopefully not disappoint my deceased owner and their families. So how can people get in touch with you online? Yeah, so uh, again, uh, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, um, and also, um, we'll have an email soon. Um, and also on Clubhouse, uh, I'm branded under Kidney Journeys, K-I-D-N-E-Y, Journeys, J-O-U-R-N-E-Y-S. Or you could just go to kidneyjourneys.com and it'll start you linking as a process for these different platforms. I also like to share different things regarding nephrology or diocese or kidney disease in terms of news and studies that come out um, so that, that for those people that are more literate on those things, um, they could keep up with it and have the information to talk with their own medical teams a little bit more detail about their individual situations. Thank you. Do you have a final word for our listeners? Um, I think uh, keep listening, keep learning um, from Dee and everybody else. Keep doing your research and live your best life for as long as you can. Do as much as you can with the folks that you like to do it with. And uh, thanks to you again for this opportunity to do the podcast. Um, you're actually my first one. So oh. uh, appreciate all your help in doing this. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. And don't forget that you can contact me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. Please do subscribe to the podcast and please do tell a friend. New episodes of this podcast are released every other Monday. Until next time, take care and choose to live. Diary of a Kitty Warrior. Sharing faith, knowledge, hope, and love.